the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. That is a label that I want to be reminded of every single day is I live unreasonably. And as soon as I start to try to live inside the lines that someone else has set for me, everything goes wrong. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm Amira Alvarez. I'm the founder and CEO of the Unstoppable Woman, and I am super excited to have on the podcast today an amazing woman who I am so honored to call a colleague and a friend, and I'm pleased with punch that she is on the podcast with us today to share her brilliance. So today we have Megan Keithen, who is the founder, the co-founder and principal strategist at BusyCure, an operations consultancy serving online businesses with more than 2,000 hires and 5,000 interviews to her name. She is best known for being a team expert, helping founders become great leaders and businesses develop strong and healthy culture. As a serial entrepreneur, Megan is building her fifth and sixth businesses right now. And check this out, you guys, while maintaining a 24-hour work week. So I'm going to dive into that because that is freaking amazing. And in her free time, she reads over 100 books a year, goes on adventures with her dogs, and travels the world, bakes delicious sweets, lives in Nashville, is an active member of the entrepreneurial community there, and her church. So I am super, super excited to bring her on and have her share her brilliance with us. So welcome, Megan. Thank you so much, Amira. It is awesome to be here. So the first thing that I want to chat with you about is tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. You, you've had five to six businesses. You're on the fifth, you're on the sixth. That means you're growing two at the same time right now. I can do math like that. <laughs> and uh, I want to know where you came from and what got you here and, and the pathway to to your your success, really? Well, it has been a very windy road, that's for sure. Uh, I started my first business at the age of 20, but I really think I was entrepreneurial from the start. I am the fourth generation of entrepreneur in my family. I've got entrepreneurs on both sides. So this is just how my family is. My brother is also an entrepreneur. And I was just talking with my mom the other day about how when we were kids, they used to pay us like a quarter to collate pages for a catalog or things like that. So you had an incentive plan. Yes. <laughs> so it was in my blood. I don't think I could avoid it. I didn't think I was going to. I, I in fact, thought I was going to take over my dad's business at some point. Hilariously, it seems that my brother is on that path. I, why is that hilarious? Uh, I don't think that was his plan. I don't think he's super interested in the specific type of business. In fact, I don't think he likes it at all. Don't tell him I said that. I think it might be a secret. <laughs> 
So my dad runs a recruitment firm and I love people operations. I love everything to do with people and leadership. And uh, although I am, I call myself an ops person, it's really the people side of operations that I love. My brother is also an ops person, but he likes all the non-people stuff. So I think it's kind of funny that he's potentially taking over and uh, maybe running a business that isn't Honestly, that isn't super aligned with him. But again, so, that's so let's dive in there for a moment. So okay. I have I have the the um, <laughs> exceptional experience to know you from your your work. Having hired you, you were instrumental in helping us find our fabulous director of ops, who is slaying things, not without ups and downs. Right? We talked a lot about that, um, but I also know that you know we've talked a lot behind the scenes about business and growth and what it takes. And you're a people person, but you're also a process person. Like, yeah, you you bring the full package. So uh, why do you think you say that you're, why do you put yourself in that that box, if you will? It's not so much a box as a specialty. So I love everything to do with operations. I, I think I was eight ish years old and I asked my dad, what's the job for people who always see what's wrong? And I didn't know it at the time, but like that is just how how my brain is geared is like there's a puzzle in everything. There's a problem in everything. There's always a way to improve. I think that the reason that I am more drawn to people is that I wasn't good at people. I was I I joke with people, I was born a robot and I became a human as I discovered Myers-Briggs and learned to speak other people's coding languages is what I called it. And uh, I just, I have loved really the transformation that I experienced going from so shy that I couldn't even walk up to a counter to, to ask for my takeout um, to now being a, a leader in teaching people how to work with other humans and how to like be human with the people on their team. That's a, a bit of your past that I don't know because I don't know you as that woman. I know you as this woman. So can you tell us about that journey? And then also if you can speak a little bit to the fact that you as a woman have claimed the business that you truly desire versus that little side note that you had around your your brother who has stepped into a business that may not be perfectly aligned for him. And do you think that that is a quality that you and I have uniquely and not anything to do with being women, like unacceptable to not live our genius, not be in our purpose, not be doing what lights us up? Or is that a quality that you think women are less available for compromise around? As much as we live in a man's world there's an expectation of everyone that everyone will fall in line. And because it is kind of a man's world, the expectation is around duty, that falling in line looks like doing your duty. And I don't know what your experience has been like, but my experience as a woman was to kind of do do what was responsible. And uh, I was very young when I discovered this quote. It's by, by George Bernard Shaw. And he says, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, 
all progress depends on the unreasonable man. And my parents hate this, but I literally have the tattoo unreasonable on my arm. Just because, to remind you. Yeah, because I want I want that label. I don't own a lot of labels for myself, but that is a label that I want to be reminded of every single day is that I live unreasonably. And as soon as I start to try to live inside the lines that someone else has set for me, everything goes wrong. And I'm not able to live in my genius. I'm not able to be everything I'm supposed to be. Have you ever found that you have been the one who have, who has set the container that 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 is actually unreasonable for you like is is trying to constrain you most often most yeah. often it's not someone else it's yeah. it's us it's perceived so, yeah yeah so how have you dealt with that like what has been the journey around recognizing when you're you're creating that level of constraint that um, trying to make yourself into the reasonable instead of following the unreasonable but genius path, right? It's not a well-defined journey. And uh, we originally met through my last business, Queen of Ops. And that I started as an operations consultancy, but I got called on because of my history with recruiting uh, I got called on to start filling open roles because I knew all of these people who were hiring and they needed help. And before I knew it, I had built an entire business and not just any business I had built in a year, a seven-figure business that was all constraints that I didn't want. It was the whole thing was, I don't want to say completely misaligned, but I got the major pieces wrong. And so, like, really, the journey is still kind of new. Uh, Wait, pause there. When okay. you say the major pieces, because I think this is a really critical concept to dive into, what were the critical pieces? For starters, how much I was working. Uh, I had said that overworking, hustle and grind, that's behind me. That's my old life. I've done the 100, 120-hour work weeks, four hours of sleep seven days a week, even holidays. I've done that. That's behind me. And yet it was still how I lived. I embodied that. Part of my identity was based in hard work. And so because I did not do the identity work, I had to carry that with me. It was still a value that I held. Without modifying that, there was no hope that Queen of Ops could be a, an aligned business. I Today, if I opened that same business, I could make it aligned but the identity work that I needed to do to be a CEO of a seven-figure business that was running it on 25 hours a week or, you know, 30 hours a week or honestly even 40 hours a week. Anything uh, but 120. Anything but 120. And I wasn't, to be fair, I wasn't doing 120. Even at the height of it, I was probably between 70 and 80 most but of still. the time. The, the too many taker. yeah yeah so so what was the identity work that you do because we talk a lot about identity on this podcast and it's it's deep work that I do with my clients because that that belief about yourself self-image identity drives everything I I personally talk about how identity drives decision and then your decisions drive your actions and your outcomes and and how you feel and all of that so Tell me a little bit about how you went about that for yourself. I needed to understand first 
who who was I acting like? If it's not the me I want to be, who am I acting like? And I think for most of us, we've had things modeled. And whether it's conscious or subconscious, that's what feels normal and it feels okay. And it also feels like the way that we're going to be loved and accepted. And uh, and my dad is an incredibly amazing, hardworking man. And every morning I would go downstairs to be at 5 a.m. water polo practice and he'd already be in his office working. And I'd come home after more water polo practice and this and that and all the activities and he would be in his office working after having worked all day. And I really admire that about him, but I incorporated that into my identity. And if I was working less than him, then I could not possibly be acceptable in my mind. And I think that like that started to shift when I was at a wedding for a family member and I heard him praise me for my ability to what I call jump off cliffs, um, to, to just have faith that it's all going to work out. And I had a moment where I thought, that's what makes me the black sheep of the family. That's what makes me unloved. That's what makes me unacceptable in this family. Every, every other thing I have tried to fall in line with, but that's that at the core, like that jump off cliffs tendency that I have makes me unacceptable. And I thought if I can be acceptable and not just acceptable, but loved as someone who does that, then maybe there are other things that I am taking for granted that I have to be. And so I started doing that work and it like, it was like a, you know, a piece of yarn that like just started pulling on and like this whole tapestry of who I was uh, began to unravel. Mm. And I had to decide, am I going to live like I'm acceptable and like more importantly, like I'm acceptable to me or am I going to base this off of stuff that I don't even, I've never even asked anybody how they feel about this. Totally. It sounds like you really, not only was there like a huge revelation um, from from the person that you clearly were looking for love and acceptance from right? Yeah. For approval and in all of that. Th- this big revelation around that, that opened everything up for you. So it was like this like little fissure that like you were able to to pry everything open from, but that you also really dug into what your values were and what your true desires were in life versus uh, an automatic conditioned programmed response to that. So that's that's fantastic. I want to go back to one thing because it's something that I really, I think, will resonate with a lot of women. So hard work. You were on business five and six. There were four businesses before that. Hard work as defined by long hours, okay? Because there can be hard work that was short hours, there, meaning you can put in the appropriate level of effort, focus, intensity without the the hours and you can do long hours without the grind with with a delighted out attitude so there's all sorts of ways to define this defining it as simply 80 hour days the grind right yeah and just using that 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 will and work ethic not it yes necessarily being aligned with the perfect uh genius work that you want to be doing in this world and what lights you up okay without a frame 
How much do you think that kind of hard work drives success as defined by seven figures, multiple seven figures, like getting a, a, a viable business off the ground? I mean, some people have a, a goal of six figures or multiple six figures, whatever your version of success is. Like, how much do you think that contributes? On a scale of one to 10, it's probably an eight. It's pretty high up there. And I think that a lot of us have had, especially if you have boomer parents, uh, boomer parents model that so, so well. And so we've all seen the hours being put in. I don't think we have really good models for, I can sit and be and just think. And in that thinking time, what's going to happen is magic. And I know that the greatest leaps that I've had, and even pre-identity shift, I knew this, but the greatest leaps that I have had have been, they, they stem from the thinking time that I give myself or the, it's not even like thinking time, like I'm just sitting there and uh, I don't know, I always picture this like wood paneled library, me smoking a cigar, a whiskey in hand, which by the way, I'd like, I do love like that library. I want that library, but like it can be baking time, especially for us as women is like when we're creating and not focused on the thing. So much of the time, that's when flow happens. That's when the downloads come. I'm sure you've experienced that. I'm sure your women have experienced it. Yeah. I often talk about that masculine and feminine essence. That That's a big part of how I approach the full, like leading from the fullness of who you are as a woman. And though men are our male colleagues that I love, adore, they they have um, generally as a as a assumption and generality have more of the masculine essence in them and less of the the feminine. But we all have both and to differing degrees. And you and I wouldn't have been able to build our multiple seven-figure businesses if we didn't have a strong masculine essence. And we need that flow. And I think everyone does, but we need that flow. So what are your practices for that? Because I I think it's really important to, as you've mentioned, like create a model for other women who are perhaps stuck in the grind, stuck thinking that they have to work the 12-hour days. I'll let you speak, but I have more on the 12-hour day that I want to okay. come back to. But like, yeah. that's the model that you want to present on on really claiming the the feminine ability to kind of receive and, you know, resource. I have a lot of different things and I'm in a season right now where I don't hold fast to any kind of routine. I call everything that I do rhythm. And if I skip a beat, it's okay. I freaking love that, Megan, just so you know. Because let me just riff on that for a second. Because the masculine is very focused, very disciplined. We do this is this is how we resource ourselves. Every day at four, we work out, right? Every right. And it's very like by the calendar and all of that. And I think we need a certain amount of discipline. But as a woman, I also need to shift into what's what's required in the moment for me right now. And and I think there's like a, a trust that you can build with yourself about the right level of discipline. And then it becomes this rhythm that you're talking about. So anyway, mm-hmm. I freaking love that. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, 
A couple of my absolute must-do everyday activities are uh, I make tea for myself, and I'm not a coffee person at all, but I drink loose leaf tea. I've got a whole bunch of loose leaf teas, and just the practice of every morning I come downstairs, I put my kettle on, I choose which tea, I weigh it out. You know, there's like something about that beautiful rhythm that just it starts everything well. I walk every day, whether I feel like it or not, whether it's 100 degrees outside or zero degrees outside, and it was actually like zero degrees in Nashville recently. Uh, that was terrible, but I walked. I walked anyway because there is something that happens in me when I walk that is not even possible if I'm just sitting or uh, inside or outside. It's just like there's the process of walking that loosens things up in my brain. Yeah, they talk about how the the bilateral movement of walking actually helps the synapses, I don't know the the proper neuroscience words, but the synapses go back and forth across your left and right brain and there's more connections made there. So that that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. yeah. So walking is a big one for me. Um, reading fiction or reading non-business fiction. I think that's a big one that, again, the masculine is really about kind of this like driver, don't do anything without purpose. But in my feminine, I realized that everything has purpose. And I, so much of my genius has come from aggregating. You know, I read 100 books a year, and like some of those books are on physics, and some of those books are on epigenetics, and some of those books are like cozy mysteries. And somehow they all edify me. And if something isn't edifying, I stop reading it. I just immediately, I'm done. I don't need it anymore. Um, but I have, I'll just li literally like grab a stack. I have four stacks of books surrounding me right now. Um, there's spiritual book, uh, revenue book. Uh, you know, there's like, there's so many different books around me. And and I pull from all of them. My feminine is about like connections and like, like you said, like receiving different things. And like, just if I make space for that to happen, it happened magically. I love that. I love that. I want to underscore everything has purpose. That was like, ah, oh, when you said that, I was like, like my, all the cells in my body, which are the radar that like, like tune into things went. So I love that. And your my bedside table sounds like your desk, right? Yeah. Because, but I don't, I don't read a hundred books a year. I, I'm probably at fifty percent of that. Um, so, do you? How much time do you spend reading? Are you a speed reader? Like, let's get into the the details. Yeah, I'm actually an incredibly slow reader. I'm dyslexic, so I read a lot of things in uh, either physical book form or Kindle and audio, either at the same time, or I finish a book on audio and I immediately read it in physical form because I am verbal visual and my memory is very tied to my, like the visual. Mm -hmm. So I, if I can picture where it is on the page, I can remember it, lock it away in my, what I call my library forever. I have that too, but I never articulated it. There, there I remember in college looking at like remembering it's the bottom left of the, the page, yes. right? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I can even 
think back to, oh, I highlighted that in orange or that in purple. So I can go look for purple highlighter or whatever. Yeah, I love that. So how much time do you dedicate to your practice? I don't really watch TV or watch movies. So for me, reading is probably my main source of entertainment. I don't know. I mean, maybe three, four hours a day. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but it's your it's your way of coming back to yourself, decompressing, shifting yeah. gears, changing, changing the type of energy that you're in. Yes. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that. Let's go back to your journey. Okay. Let's okay. go back. Um, so, so you were doing this uh, Queen of Ops business and it wasn't, it was aligned in many ways, not aligned in other ways. There were lots of constraints. Was that a jump off the cliff moment for you where you decided, actually, I know, I know so completely I'm too constrained here. We're, we're, we're ending this now without much ado or was there a lot of process and thinking about it? It was painful and drawn out and ultimately it was so misaligned that I wasn't even able to bring in money. It's like it just got to the point where I dreaded making sales and obviously that will kill a business. But I had the most aligned part of the business was I had the most beautiful, wonderful team in the world and I miss them all the time. I really miss that team. Um, and so I kept running it for them. I kept trying to make it work for them and trying to make it aligned for me and trying to make little shifts. Ultimately, like I had to shut it down. I, I had to, and I had to do it for them and for me. And I, in retrospect, I wish that I had pivoted sooner because if I had tried six months before I started, I think we would have made it. There are so many things that the operations person in me knows. We could have done this and we could have done that. I've broken it all down. I had two months of absolutely nothing where I just broke everything down, every mistake, uh, a full postmortem, if you will, on the business. I wish that once I had really known that it was not savable, that I had not drawn it out from that point, that I had served my team better and given them more opportunity to not not drown with it or not go down with the ship. Um, yeah. But they were so loyal and faithful that it felt like the worst thing to just cut it off. Uh, so yeah, it was really hard. Yeah. I can feel that that emotion is still really poignant for you. Would you say that this was one of the hardest things, hardest decisions you made in your life? Yes. Yeah, I think it's the actual hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Yeah. And this goes right back to how you started our conversation today around what drives you are the people, you know? Yes. Like you approach operations from the people perspective mm-hmm. and the you're so good at it and you, it's what you value. So how has that affected your ability to build a new team? It set me back quite a lot. Uh, I had a lot of self-doubt, and I'm not familiar with self-doubt, actually. That is not a feeling I have experienced often. It came because I was struggling with my identity and having to make 
finally make those identity shifts that I'd been kind of like, no, 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 those aren't real. I, I'm not, I don't have to pay attention to them. But I did experience self-doubt really for the first time in my life. I mean, it was hell um, and it was so hard. And I, I tell my friends this, I wouldn't wish what I went on, uh, what, what, what I went through on anyone except for the people I loved because the, what it led to that journey, the discovery of my true self. And I wouldn't say I'm done discovering, but I am on the right path, maybe for the first time. Um, that has been worth everything. Absolutely. We don't always know how life is for us. And God, spirit, source, the universe, infinite intelligence is, in my my perspective, my worldview, is always for us. Yes. And and this is a choice. This is an active choice we make yeah. every single day. Like you either believe the world is for you or against you. That was something, uh, I don't have the, the quote exactly in my head, but paraphrasing that Albert Einstein said that the biggest choice that you can make is to decide whether you believe the world is for you or against you. And that perspective choice changes everything. Yeah. Let's yeah. go back to the self-doubt though. What what did this cause you to doubt about yourself? I think that more more than anything, it was, am I really an operations person if I crashed this business that was successful? I mean, like a year in hitting seven figures and it was like, wow, oh my gosh. Like, and it was yeah, I I had a plan that was written down literally month by month that got us to that point. And so like I knew what I I knew that I knew what I knew. But on the other side of it, it was like, did I really know that? Did I was that all just a fluke? Uh was this just my connections? Was this just uh the great team that I had? not to minimize them, not just them, but did I really have anything to do with this? And could I replicate it? Can I even get up again? Um, I've had a lot of downs and I always prided myself on being the Phoenix. I can always rise from the ashes, but this one felt like it was just harder to get up. And I thought, Am I, are my bones just too old to get up mm -hmm. from this one? Do you think it became a bit of a self-worth issue? Oh, yes, absolutely. I find that self-worth and self-doubt seem to go hand in hand. So what do you think allowed you to really move through that? And it sounds like you're you're still moving through, right? We we do that every day, every every time we get up uh, and 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 take a breath for yeah. on a new day. But you know, in that in this particular part of your journey, mm -hmm. how did you move through that? It was finally deciding to not live in shame. And I have lived in shame my whole life, um, not to go like way too deep, but I had sexual trauma um, as a very young kid and then repeated throughout my life. And so that of course builds shame just in your body. Um, and then I had all of these other, these stories that I was telling myself, even, you know, oh, I didn't become an Olympic water polo player so like I'm I'm wrong, I'm flawed. I didn't take over my dad's business, so I'm wrong and flawed. I didn't do this, I didn't do that. I am not this thing. Uh, I am the black sheep. And so that's why I say so much of it comes down to identity is 
I had to shift my identity to um, one of the pastors at my church says to living like you're loved, live loved. And if you can live loved and believe that you are loved, then everything changes for you. And it's just like what you're talking about is like, is the world for you or is it against you? And I've I've been relentlessly optimistic about all the hard knocks that I've had, but I had never embraced that idea that I was loved, that I just, just for being who I am, just me with all of my flaws, that I'm loved, period. Not lovable, not could be loved, not potentially down the road could be lovable, but like I did not love myself because I was carrying all of this shame. And so I couldn't believe that anyone or anything else could love me or really truly work out for me. And so when I released all of that, it opened the world up to me. I can feel that. That is, I mean, it's really powerful. What I can really feel there, Megan, is how you're bringing that to your business, like to how you're um, being very conscious and intentional about who you're being in your business. So I I love that. I want to ask you another question, a little bit of a tangent, but okay. connected to this idea of shame. Shame says, I've done something wrong. It's very connected to that lack of self-worth, that not enoughness. And there have been a lot of studies on what successful people, like uber successful people, have in common. And I am fascinated by what they have found, which are three things. One is they have an inflated self-ego that says they are made for more. They, they, they are here to do something extraordinary. Okay. So I'm thinking about, I was supposed to be a Olympic world class water polo player, right? Like there's like, I was made for more. Yeah. And then seemingly contradictory, but not so. Number two is deep insecurity, deep sense of not enoughness, right? And, and that shame and, and, um, unworth and self-doubt and all of that. And then the third, incredible self-discipline and focus. Agree, disagree? How do you rank yourself in those three categories? (laughs) Absolutely agree. On point one, I always knew I was meant for something more. And, you know, people, people will think I'm crazy, but like God speaks to me. And, uh, I I know I have a calling on my life. I know that I'm meant to do big things. The second be thing, the, obviously. Be the unreasonable woman, right? Yeah. Got it on Honestly, your, tattooed yeah. on your arm. Yeah. The second thing, obviously, yes, we've covered that. Um, and the third thing, this is what's so interesting, is that self-discipline. How do we find that self-discipline in the feminine? Yes. Yes. Because I I constantly, like, I'm seduced, I'm attracted. I see these male entrepreneurs, the way they talk about the, like, the discipline, do the same thing deep every day. And it's so masculine, right? It's so, like, I'm going deep. It's like sex, right? It's like, yeah, that's what they do. And I'm like, I get that. I get that level of focus. And how do we do that, that version with the feminine, and as women, and with with 
a different energy cadence and a different rhythm and and quite frankly a different the female brain is different than the male brain it, yes. it just works differently and it's biologically different i think that comes down to the rhythms because like you said like it is so attractive and i find it so attractive but i think it's i find it attractive because it's not how my brain works i find it's it like, attractive because i think i find men sexy so just yeah. having that that's and what I'm saying. And that's very sexy. Okay, good. We're in agreement there. And it does work. Like as someone who wants results, who wants outcomes, there's a way in which that works. But we have to be, I just think we have to be very intentional, conscientious, aware of does that work for us? And what's the degree? And when do we need it? And when do we not? And what does that integration actually look like for yes. us? It's a Rubik's cube sometimes. And then other days you just nail it. And one thing I will share with you, I don't know if you resonate with this, but one thing that I do and I my biggest, most successful feel-good days are when I wake up early because I am a morning person and I don't talk to anyone, have anything booked on my calendar until like 11 or 12 in the afternoon. And I can go deep into my work. And when I'm in that, it's a matrix. It's not, I'm going to do one thing for those six hours, right? Yeah. I'm doing this and then my brain takes me over here and I do this and and it's this matrix and network. But I'm, so I'm, I'm working with my female brain. Some people call it the entrepreneurial ADHD brain, but I call it my female brain. And I have the spaciousness, right? I, I need that spaciousness to flow from one thing to another. And I have the container of the structure of uninterrupted time. Does that resonate with you? Yes, I'm the same way. I'm a, you know, up between 5 and 5.30 a.m. kind of person. That's my body just naturally doing that. I don't ever set an alarm. But even that, the decision to stop setting an alarm was about honoring my feminine energy, even knowing that I will still wake up at that time. And so it's like, there've been a couple of times over the last six months where I've been able to sleep in to 7 a.m. Amazing. <laughs> I know, I'm like, <laughs> and just honoring that sometimes that's what my body needs. My chiropractor told me women need nine hours of sleep. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm going to give myself the opportunity to do that. And I stopped setting my alarm and it was amazing. And I don't get nine hours of sleep, but I used to, you, know, you know, what's interesting about that? I don't set my alarm either. And I used to need nine hours of sleep and I need less and less sleep. And my working hypothesis on this is that when you work through the guilt and the shame, when you work through that non-enoughness, when you work through the identity issues and the self-worth issues, that you just have less friction on the line. There's less that you need to actually process at night. You know, we yeah. synthesize at night and integrate at night. And there's just less that you need. And I don't set my alarm. And sometimes I go to bed super early because that's when I want to go to bed. Yeah. And I wake up four or five hours later. And sometimes I need more for sure. And I get six to eight, but like there's something that's, that has changed because I used to be a nine hour, a, ga yeah. a, a gal, a nine hour a night gal. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one more thing that I want to circle back to, 
you are not crazy. God speaks to me too. I yeah. think this is like, I think this is something, but for me, I don't know if you found this later in life, but th- that is a, a last five years, maybe 10 years kind of thing that like in my pursuit of my own spirituality and truth and what it means to be a human being on this earth and what we're meant to do, pursuing that whole line of thought has has led me to very deep and profound conversations with what I call spirit or God. And, mm-hmm. and it has been transformational for me and something that I had to really learn to trust. And to me, that's very much about the stepping into the receiving and that yeah. aspect of us as a as a woman. Would you share what your journey on that is? Yeah, I experienced it from a very young age. Um, but in times when I'm in masculine and I'm in doer, put my head down, get it done, make it happen mode, the voice is often too quiet for me to hear. And I, one of the most important moments in my life was I had one of my coaches uh, say actually about me to someone else. And I, fortunately, that person passed it on to me. Well, the thing about Megan is that she thinks that her intellect is her greatest asset, but her actual greatest strength is her intuition. And I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. I literally told him to his face. I was like, so-and-so told me that you said this thing, and I just want you to know that you're wrong. And within four days, my intuition had started popping up enough and me noticing, oh, I quiet that. And this was while I was running Queen of Ops. And so I decided, what if I start listening to the intuition? What if I give space to the voice of God again? And then was able to go, oh, look, my business started going wrong back in June of 2021 when I decided to step in and grow the thing instead of receiving, instead of just being like, yeah, cool, this is going to be what it's going to be. And like, if it becomes something bigger, then it becomes something bigger. And uh, it was magic up until then. And then I I took over and I began to crash it. And so that is that is what I have noticed is that in the masculine for me, I ruin things. I crash things. <laughs> Not that I can't have masculine energy because like you pointed out earlier, it is a balance. We need both. But when I am running everything from my masculine, then I'm completely missing all of the gifts that make me who I am, make me special and unique and able to build a seven-figure business almost by accident in a single year. Powerfully said, Megan. So before I uh, ask you my final questions and share some of the reflections of what landed for me. Where can people find you and how can they learn about what you're doing and how to tap into your brilliance? We have thebusycure.com, my partner and I. But to connect with me personally, I share a lot of my personal life on Instagram. So my handle is Megan Keithan, just my name. And I'm the only one in the world. So as long as you remember how to spell my last name, which can be difficult, uh, then you can find me pretty much anywhere on any platform. Okay, so I'm going to make a plug for your last name. K-U-E-T-H-E-N, if you're listening on audio. 
there you go. Okay, so my final question for you, and I think this is a good one uh, based on the the recent transformation and tapping in that you've had. What do you love most about yourself? That's a hard question for a different reason than it would have been a year ago. Because a year ago, I would have had a hard time finding a thing. And now I love so much about myself. I think that I love most that I see the person in every situation. I never forget that I'm an imperfect human and I need grace and that every person in every situation needs grace. And that empathy that that gives me allows me to handle even something like operations that can be as process-oriented with a different view than anyone else. That is my unique thing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. What would you think the salient trait is right now, right now in your life that makes you an unstoppable woman? This sounds weird, but I practice failure. I learned about heuristics back in 2012. I was going through a divorce and I learned about heuristics and I thought everything sucks and I don't believe anything good. And so I'm going to change my brain and I'm just going to start practicing failure and hard things. And that has been a daily practice for me. And it has made me believe that the the failure is never the end. When you say practicing failure, do you mean practicing the risk of failure? Or do you mean I practice, I know that this is going to be, this is going to fail and I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in failure in order to experience failure? Yeah, that second one. So like as an example, a yoga move that I know I can't do. Like I'm not advanced enough to do that thing. And I'm in a room full of people who are going to see me fall over and I'm going to do it anyway. Mm, I love that. I freaking love that. Okay. I'm going to put that, that, that's going into my, my toolkit. I'm, I'm taking that on. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you. That's so good. So I just want to reflect back, Megan, that this has been such a, a juicy conversation, primarily because you represent this beautiful integration of the masculine and the feminine. And and you've been very transparent about where it's worked for you and where it hasn't worked for you and, and what your personal challenges have been with it and have been open to modeling that there's a different way forward and, and what that might look like and what success might look like in that arena. And I, and I also want to just share that I love, love, love how you integrate the knowledge that you are tapping into and accessing, whether it's the, the conversations with God or the three to four hours of reading that you do on, on a breath of topics, that there is that, there is that synthesis that you're bringing and it's not just an intellectual synthesis, but there's an application in your life, like this last reference that you made about learning about heuristics and then like, I am going to practice failure every day and what that actually looks like and means. So thank you for bringing the wholeness of who you are to this conversation. It has been a great one. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor and a pleasure to be here. 